Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, four weeks ago, it seemed that college football had taken two steps forward in its return to play process. Since then, has it taken two steps back? If not, maybe more? We'll discuss that on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Friday, July 3rd, 2020. Great to have you with us on this holiday weekend. So happy that you have decided to spend part of your 4th of July weekend here with us. I'm indeed Troy Clarity. Great to have you here. And looking forward to chatting with our special guest on this week's show. You've seen his work covering college football for quite a long time now. And he's one of the very best in the biz. And he has a tie to Stanford Athletics. Pat Forty, senior writer for, from Sports Illustrated, is uh, going to be joining us here in a few minutes. Looking forward to getting his latest thoughts on uh, college football's uh, return to play process and also his initial thoughts on Stanford and Pac-12 football, as well as a few other things, too. So Pat Forty, one of the very best in college football journalism, is our special guest on the TreeCast. Of course, we'll also get you three things you need to know around Stanford athletics. The up-to-the-minute news that is fit to print even though this isn't a print medium, but I think you I think you get what I'm saying here. We'll get you up to speed on some things here coming up in just a couple of minutes. But first, as usual, we got to set a few ground rules here for you. Number one, if you haven't been a part of the show, if you're new to the program, hey, thank you so much for checking us out and being here. I'm Troy Clarity. 27 seasons of following Stanford and Stanford football in particular underneath my belt and six seasons of uh, play-by-play of the Pac-12 network as well across six sports. Looking forward to and hoping that uh, the seventh season uh, gets off on time and as scheduled, that we complete it on time and as scheduled. But uh, certainly uh, Stanford football has been near and dear to my heart for coming up on three full decades now. Wow, I'm old. You want to follow me on Twitter? I suggest you do that at Troy Clarity. Last name is C L A R D Y. C L A R D Y at Troy Clarity. You've got thoughts on the show or anything else that we discuss uh, during the course of the program? I welcome that. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast. If you've missed previous episodes of the show, I've had some pretty good guests. Senator Cory Booker, Brevin Knight, Mark Madsen, David Shaw, Jared Hass, uh, former Stanford All-American uh, pitcher Kyle Peterson, now at ESPN. We've had some really cool chats uh, over the past few weeks. You want to go back and uh, listen to them again, or if you missed them the first time around, check out The Vault on the TreeCast, no matter where you listen to your favorite podcasts from, Google Play, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, tune in. Ask Alexa. She can hook you up probably as well. Any way you want to go, check out some of our previous episodes after you listen to this one. And let's get this thing going with the three things you need to know around Stanford Athletics right now. And as always, we begin with number one. Stanford football is back. 
or at least the student athletes are allowed to be back on campus anyway. Stanford campus reopening for voluntary individual activity amongst all athletic programs back on June 17th. It was announced the next day. And this week, football received its clearance to return. That sparked a flurry of excited tweets from various Stanford players, uh, from Cardinal Football Strength and Conditioning coach Colin Carroll. You know he's pretty pumped up. This is his time of year, and a few others as well. Now, of course, there are many protocols that the student-athletes and the football players um, have to go through in order to even come on the campus to do what they need to do and do what they want to do. Uh, physical distancing has to be observed. Uh, face coverings have to be worn. Washing hands. Uh, sanitizer, all those sorts of things, all the stuff you should be doing too and should have been doing all along. But it's good news. Stanford football players getting the clearance this week and uh, being allowed to return to campus as they have done, a few of them have done anyway, starting on July 1st. Good news, certainly. So now what? Well, that brings me to number And this is obviously a very delicate time when you're trying to bring in student athletes and bring in athletes uh, into your into your new bubble, so to speak. We've seen this with the professional sports leagues, um, NBA trying to figure it out, uh, National Women's Soccer League trying to figure it out as well, um, M- M- MLS. Uh, FC Dallas had three positive tests before they left uh, to head for their bubble in Orlando, but then they had seven more after they arrived. So it's a pretty delicate time, and there's going to be a lot of testing that needs to be involved from here on out. We've heard reports from other campuses bringing back their student-athletes for voluntary work. The Pac-12 has largely fared well, although Arizona's having to put its re-entry plan on hold, not necessarily for any problems, not any positive tests from Arizona athletes. I believe Wildcats uh, have tested 83 of their student-athletes and they only got one positive out of that, but just because Arizona overall, that state is just a coronavirus hotbed right now. Cal had three positive tests. They announced that on Tuesday. So how transparent will Stanford be in reporting any positive tests from the farm? Well, I asked a Stanford football team spokesman that that very question this week. And as of Wednesday afternoon, Stanford's still trying to finalize its approach to reporting positive tests on campus and amongst the student-athletes. Now, some athletic departments aren't revealing positive tests. Um, I know Oregon and Pitt are lumping reporting positive tests among student-athletes among along positive tests with their entire university populations. Now, I would hope Stanford would be a bit more transparent than that, not from a journalistic standpoint necessarily, but just in the interest of public health. But as I say this, if there is a positive test, heaven forbid, Amidst, amid Stanford Athletics, whether it will be reported or not is undetermined. Let's get to number three. A couple of weeks ago, Pac-12 Deputy Commissioner and COO and Stanford alum Jamie Zaninovich joined us. And you might remember, I asked him what opportunities, a lot of challenges obviously on his plate right now as everyone tries to figure out how to at least get back up to something resembling uh, back up to speed. But I also asked him what opportunities he's, he's excited about in the weeks ahead. His response? Yeah, I think one of the things is, you know, with all the anti-racism and social justice issues that have been brought to the forefront um, in, uh, in a um, humbling but uh, really important way in the past couple of weeks and months in, in the United States, we're very focused on, uh, on our own 
anti-racism, anti-hate social justice plan, which which we're going to be working on with our membership. I'm really excited about that because I think, again, going back to some of the icons in this conference, uh, there's a real uh, culture there where we can really affect some positive change, not only with our student athletes, but our institutions. And and I really think in society at writ large. So uh, that's, that's really exciting for us. That's PAC-12 Deputy Commissioner and COO Jamie Zaninovich, who joined us on the June 17 episode of the TreeCast. And this week, we started to see that plan get put into motion with some Stanford people prominently involved. On Monday, the Pac-12 held a uh, student-athlete anti-racism forum moderated by Stanford professor and former Stanford provost and Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. Stanford women's basketball all-time great Chine Ogumike was also on that panel. Pac-12 is also creating a social justice and anti-racism advisory group that's co-chaired by Washington State Athletic Director Pat Chun. Big fan of what uh, he's been able to do all with that athletic department up in uh, Pullman. It's not easy to do great things uh, up, in, up in Pullman, but uh, he and his staff appear to be pulling things off there. And the Pac-12 is also hiring a head of diversity and inclusion. So, as you heard Jamie Zinovich talk about with us a few weeks ago, the Pac-12 really helping to spearhead uh, some social justice and uh, diversity initiatives. And Stanford folks will be playing large roles in the Pac-12's initiatives there. By the way, I'll, I'll tell this story maybe later, especially if you ask me to, but I, I once spent two hours in Condoleezza Rice's office talking football. True story. We'll talk about it some other time. But as of right now, those are three things. Well, this time last month, it certainly seemed that there was plenty of optimism as far as getting the college football season off on time and started on time and college sports overall as well in the fall. Uh, Is that optimism still there? Because it certainly seems to me that it might not be. Is it just me or is it Pat Forty as well? Let's ask him and bring him in. He is our special guest on this week's edition of the TreeCast. You, of course, read his stuff on Sports Illustrated. He had a terrific column earlier this week about maybe realigning some things in college football. We'll cover that ground with him as well. But he's long covered the college football landscape. Few better, no one better in the business, you could argue, than Pat Ford. And he joins us here on the TreeCast. Pat, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. How are you doing? Troy, good to be with you. Uh, happy midsummer to you. Let's let's hope we get to football season. Yeah, yeah. Let's certainly hope so as we get closer and closer to the scheduled beginning of the college football season. And and you've seen the same headlines that 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 we have with with some programs across the country welcoming back student athletes and some struggling with the multitude of positive tests. Uh, you've seen the explosion of cases in in some areas that are of course very important to college football, Texas and Florida in particular. Uh, you see those things working in concert with each other potentially. What do you make of the headlines that we've been seeing over the past couple of weeks as far as it pertains to getting college football and college sports back in? on time and on schedule? Uh, troubling headlines, frankly, you know, um, headlines that I think is, have got everybody tapping the brakes again after, you know, a fairly kind of optimistic, bullish outlook for a while, full speed ahead. It's definitely not that anymore. And it's just so funny, the, the ebbs and flows of this, if we've gone through it, you know, in April and part of May, it was really doom and gloom and and then all of a sudden, you know, we start getting a little bit of momentum. Some places start opening up, and you're thinking, okay, everybody's talking about playing football. We're going to play football. We're going to have students on campus. We're going to have 
all fall sports. And, you know, in the last couple of weeks, there's just been, as you mentioned, these spikes of uh, positive tests in, in so many places and including, yes, some, some, you know, the most populous states in the country. Um, and then correspondingly, you look at what's happening with athletes that are already on campus and the number of positive tests there. And some places are pausing voluntary workouts and some people at places are, are withholding, uh, bringing athletes back and, and, you know, other places are saying, we're not sure how many students we're even going to have on campus for classes. And so I think the overall outlook is wait and see, and we can't wait much longer. So at, at that point, you know, next week, the week after by mid July, we're going to have to have some decisions made of, are we playing? Are we playing on time? Who can watch? Who can go to the stadiums? You know, how many positive tests can we put up with or stomach basically and without worrying that we're doing a real disservice to the athletes? Uh, I mean, there's just so much that goes into this that uh, I think right now it's, it's, a, it's a cautious, uncertain, and somewhat more pessimistic time. Yeah, and it's even reached the point where uh, Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott earlier on Thursday afternoon telling John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News, hey, look, it's reached the point now where I'm not as optimistic about things now as I was a couple weeks ago, and now everything seems to be back on the table as far as perhaps even moving football to spring, uh, conference-only schedules, you name it. Now all those things seem to be creeping back onto the table again. What's your initial reaction to all that? Yeah, and I, I think that's, that is prudent leadership, really, is you can't just sit there and look at what's going on and say, yeah, no, nah, we're fine. We're going ahead. So I think you have to put everything back on the table and see how long you can keep it there. You know, as I said, is okay, you know, July 8th, I believe, the Ivy League is supposed to announce their plan for their fall sports. And while the Ivy League doesn't play football on the same plane and it's not as important a revenue driver, who was the first people to cancel basketball season? It was the Ivy League, and everybody else followed. And obviously, given the academic prowess of those schools, there's, there's a lot of other institutions that will somewhat take a, a, a page out of their book, depending on what they're going to do. And my guess, it's just a guess at this point, is the Ivy League will go conference only. Uh, and so non-conference will fall by the wayside. And then, you know, we'll see what their FBS-level schools like Stanford decide, can we play non-conference or do we have to push everything back and just play a Pac-12 schedule? Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, the, 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 the runway for all of this is just is shortened and we still don't have good enough answers to say, let's take off. So, you know, you can push it down, you can kick the can down the road a little bit further, but you know, Larry Scott's, uh, you know, lack of optimism, I think is based on where we are. Now, you are the father of a Stanford student athlete, your daughter, Brooke, uh, on the swimming team. We'll get more on her career here in just a few moments or so. But, but how has being the parent of a current student athlete who's going through all this and keeping an eye on this and wondering, hey, is it going to be safe for, for my child to be on campus? Uh, well, I'm, sure those, I'm sure you've had those concerns. Uh, how has being the parent of a current student athlete kind of affected how you've looked at this whole entire story over the past few months? It's been different. You know, I'm not just covering it from a sports journalist standpoint, that's for sure. And, you know, boy, I mean, it's hit us between the eyes. Uh, you know, last year, my, my son, Brooks, older brother, Clayton, was a senior at Georgia and on the swim team and getting ready for NCAA championships, his last NCAA championships. He didn't get to compete. Brooke obviously didn't either, but at least theoretically, she's going to get another chance. 
Uh, but so, you know, we went through it then and it was bitter, disappointing, heartbreaking for them. And now you're on the other side of that and trying to get ready for this next year. And, you, and you know, all along the thought process was, well, surely everything will be okay by the fall. And now we get close to the fall and everything's not okay. And so, yeah, there's, there's trepidation, there's concern. And, you know, you trust the, the healthcare professionals at Stanford. You trust the administration smart people, well-informed people is, you know, what school's going to be better informed about what's going on than Stanford. You trust the coach, Greg Mann, wonderful coach, wonderful person. You know, I mean, couldn't put your child's hand, uh, career or college life in somebody else's better hands than him. So, you know, you, 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 you go into it thinking, okay, you know what, if Stanford says it's okay, we're going to think it's okay. But at the back of your mind too, you're like, Hey, you know, you, you don't want to put your child into a position where they're a guinea pig, so to speak, for the rest of the student body. You know, she'll be back on campus here shortly next week uh, and, and back training theoretically with everybody. And is it just, you know, hey, we'll just see how it goes with them before we decide about everybody else. And, you know, you have those concerns, obviously. Uh, but for her sport, you know, it's certainly different than football, swimming. You can put one person in a lane. You are not having the same literal physical interaction with people. You are obviously outdoors. You're in chlorinated water, which is safe. But there's also the other hours of the day. And what are they doing then? Who are they interacting with? How's that going to go? You're going to move into a dorm. How's that going to be? So there's a lot of there's concerns, absolutely. There's trust that Stanford's going to do this the right way, but there's concern that goes with it. Yeah, a lot of questions that uh, a lot of folks just don't have the answers to right now, but we'll learn all those answers, I'm sure, uh, hopefully, um, as we go along. We'll talk more about Brooke here in a few moments or so, but let's get to your, your story from earlier this week where you turned the FBS figuratively on its ear, unveiling your proposal for perhaps a new way forward uh, for college football, blowing up the conferences as we know them, making them a bit more uh, aligned as far as geography uh, is concerned, relegation for a handful of schools as well, uh, a 12-team playoff. Uh, take us through it. How did you come up with this? And just kind of take us through uh, your proposal as you unveiled it on Monday. Yeah, you know, it's something I, I've been thinking about, you know, probably for years to a degree, but as we were reporting on everything, the, all the uncertainty going on in college sports due to the pandemic, you know, one of the things that stood out were the number of administrators, excuse me, that, that brought up to me, you know, probably we should be rethinking more regionally and more cost consciously and those sort of things. And so I was like, hey, yeah, you're probably right. And I started looking at it as like, well, there's a lot of ways you can do that. And a lot of ways you can, bring schools into a smaller neighborhood, so to speak, while at the same time, I thought expanding a college football playoff. So in my, you know, my realignment, which is total, it breaks up every conference and re, refigures them, um, was to have 10, 12 team conferences and Stanford being what I call the West Coast Conference, along with most of the current Pac-12, except not Utah, not Colorado, not Arizona, not Arizona State. Uh, instead, you would have uh, Nevada, Hawaii, Fresno State, and San Diego State. And the only thing I, I did, I relegated San Jose State. Sorry about that. Uh, but, but threw the Spartans out of the FBS. And so with the Spartans out, I took literally the 12 most Western 
schools out there and made them a conference. Um, and then 10 uh, automatic bids. You win your conference, you are a champion. You go to, the, to a 12-team playoff. You have two at-large picks. And then uh, you play it off from there. You have four teams that get a bye. The other eight teams play on a conference uh, or on campus sites. And then you have quarterfinals on campus sites. And then you have semifinals and final, as usual, in a college football playoff setting, two bowl games and then a championship game. Uh, and, you know, just try to basically reimagine the whole thing. It's not going to happen, Troy. I hate to say it, I know, but I understand <laughs> that. It's not going to come to be. Uh, because the power powers that be aren't giving up what they've gotten to let in the Hawaii's, the Fresno states, the San Diego states, uh, and I understand that. But I think it was just it was a fun exercise and fun to kind of just make people look at things completely differently. Yeah, and certainly from a geographic standpoint, I mean, you know, West Virginia going to Texas Tech for conference game, that still blows my mind. Even Rutgers, you know, having to go out to Iowa in the Big Ten, that, that blows my mind uh, for the most part as well. But the good thing is, under your proposal, they'll bring back Texas, Texas A&M, and Pitt, West Virginia. I'd be all about that. Sure, yeah, you, yeah that's the thing is I, I tried to reconvene some of the lost rivalries due to the the big realignment from 2010 to 2014 when basically the map and a lot of tradition was just thrown out the window for the sake of making more money. And so, yeah, if we could put together the map and bring back some of those, um, I had Missouri playing Kansas. Uh, I had, let's see, a few, a few other old rivalries that have been kind of torn asunder uh, stitched back together. And, you know, I think that's what fans want those sort of rivalry games. And that's one thing where, Stanford and Fresno may not necessarily be natural rivals, but in offices in San Francisco or in Sacramento, there's going to be alums from both those schools working together. And if they're playing each other, hey, that week it's a big game, right? You know, and they're getting into it. And eventually those rivalries could build into something more. And, you know, I just think when, when you are around people of kind of the same – uh, allegiances, even if they're competing, but the same neighborhood tussles, I guess you would say, uh, it's just going to, it adds a little more juice to everything. Or, or backyard brawls in yeah. some areas of go. the country, perhaps. And, but, and, and maybe another reason why this might be a bit tough to pull off is because, let's face it, college football, there is no centralized leadership entity. And I think that's affected, or seems to have affected a lot of things that we've seen uh, over the past few months. Uh, with Everything that's swirling around the sport right now, th does this perhaps prove more of a need for college football to have a centralized uh, leadership entity going forward, perhaps? Yeah, I think it absolutely does. You know, is that, that, that you just, we, the sport has survived on its own momentum, basically because it's been so popular, but it has not been managed well. And you can find so many instances of that and where you just have, you have five powerful fiefdoms all working for their own interests and then five less powerful fiefdoms working for their own interests and then Notre Dame, uh, you know, and so if you could have a centralized leadership that was looking out for everyone's interests, I think just think the sport would be so much better off and boy, has there been nothing to more vividly illustrate that than this pandemic and the response to it. You know, I, I would think, you could come up with a policy for all FBS schools for how you 
integrate students back into campus and how you test them and what sort of protocols you go through. But instead, it's like, oh, we're going to do it this way over here. We're going to do it that way over there. Some schools are free to not test any players when they come back. Like, that was crazy that you didn't have to test anyone. Uh, I mean, so, you know, I just think that there needed to be some uniformity, and that's been lacking. And, boy, and again, that's been lacking in the leadership for decades, really, of the sport. Well, there's also hasn't been the uniformity as far as the response is concerned on the national level, but that's another subject, another <laughs> conversation uh, for another spot. Get into that. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's talk about some on-field stuff here uh, with Stanford football. Uh, 4-8 last year, disappointing, but I think a lot of excitement around the offense potentially and maybe some question marks surrounding the defense. Uh, your initial take, your initial thoughts on Stanford and what's on, da what's on David Shaw's plate uh, for the upcoming season. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, huge year of kind of, of transition reinvention, I guess you would say, and, and kind of trying to reestablish a Stanford brand that had been extremely well established and, and maybe kind of frayed around the edges the last couple of years and certainly last year, you know, and a lot of transfers and everything. But, I, you know, I think this is a great opportunity for David Shaw, I think, as a, an outstanding coach to just take a step back and say, okay, what weren't we doing right that we need to do right? What, you know, where had things gotten away from us? Uh, smart guy, analytical guy can probably figure out, okay, we've, we've got to do these things better. Uh, you know, we've got to recruit these areas better. Now, they, they had some terrible injury luck last year. Uh, so some of that, you know, the offensive line was decimated, um, you know, was part of it. But, but just, yeah, to give up 30 points a game almost last year was, was shocking for Stanford. Um, you know, so just to, to not be able to have that identity. And I know they have tried to evolve the offense and be a little less ground and pound and, and utilize, uh, you know, space a little bit more and, and throw it around a little bit better. But, you know, just more of the, the surprise to me was defensively what they, they couldn't do there. So, yeah, there, you know what, there's always, I think, optimism and excitement about a little bit of, of wiping a slate clean and, and starting over and seeing where we go from here. Um, you know, we'll see how it all works out. I mean, obviously, uh, Costello transfers and will probably be the starter right away at Mississippi State. But Davis Mills, super talented guy. Uh, they've got some talent at the quarterback position. They've got talent at every position, I think. I, you know, I don't think that they've run out of recruits by any stretch. Um, and then, yeah, you're right. There, there's probably going to be a little more imperative on the defense to prove something. Um, you know, I look around. The, the Pac-12 North, I, I, I think that that division takes a little bit of a step back. So it's not like, you know, Oregon's not going to be as good. Without Chris Peterson, we'll see about uh, Washington. Without Mike Leach, we'll see about Washington State. Uh, so I think there's, you know, there's some opportunity to maybe make up some ground there. The thing is, without spring practice, without the full summer, you know, where does David Sean know where his program is at this point? Other coaches asking themselves that very question right now. Uh, as someone who has his finger squarely on the pulse of, of, of national college football, I feel, I feel very comfortable asking you this. Uh, Stanford and Oregon have done terrific things for the Pac-12 over the past decade or so. But, but even so, why do I get the feeling that the Pac-12's national reputation is directly dependent upon how USC 
is doing in any given year. Is, do you sense that's the case as well? And how much uh, is the Pac-12's reputation riding on what USC could do this year? Because there's certainly a lot of things that are, that are going in their favorite seams coming into this season. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's the thing is, in, I mean, college football is one of the most tradition-addicted sports of them all, maybe the most. And so it's like almost just by default, you're like, people's like, well, how's the Pac-12? Well, the first thing, well, how's USC? Even though, you know, USC is has been mostly an afterthought other than Sam Darnold uh, for, for a while now. And uh, they, you know, they, they, they certainly were, were not very good last year. Clay Helton was lucky to keep his job. I do expect them to be significantly better this year. We've got a better staff. Uh, Keaton Slovis was a outstanding quarterback. Uh, surprise really receivers are outstanding. They've got skill and explosive talent and that sort of thing. Um, so they've, they've got a chance, I think, to take a big step forward, maybe be the best team in the Pac-12. Utah also in that division steps back. So, you know, the opportunity is there. But there's no doubt that I think in, from people from a little bit more of a lazy, oversimplified standpoint is that USC is all that matters out there. And that hadn't been true, obviously, as you said. I mean, look, Stanford's had great teams. Oregon's had great teams. Washington is the last Pac-12 team to make the playoff, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so it's more than just a USC conference. But when all programs are hitting on highest cylinders, USC historically has always been the best. You know, I mean, they, they've won national championships, which other schools haven't been able to do. So, you know, that's kind of the default position is USC should always be good. And so the, uh, people look to them first. But that, you know, it's, it's a big league outside of Los Angeles. <laughs> All right, a couple last things here for you. As uh, we mentioned earlier in this chat, uh, your daughter, Brooke, a uh, key member of the Stanford uh, women's uh, swimming squad, 11-time All-American, three-time national champ, a member of, of Stanford's two national championship squads at Stanford. What have been some of the highlights of, of, of her career as a parent, as you've watched and seen what she's been able to accomplish on the farm the past few years? Oh boy, you know, I mean, it's just been so fun. I mean, it's just been a blast from a parenting standpoint. All three of our kids have been swimmers. And I said, my son swam at Georgia, my oldest son swam at Missouri. Um, it's been basically the, the rhythm of our family life for 15 years, maybe longer, you know. Um, Brooke is, yeah, Brooke's a senior now in college, which is hard to imagine or going to be a senior, but she started swimming when she was five. Um, and Quite frankly, she was good right away, uh, you know, and so you could see the potential in her and, you know, the talent. And then as she got older, you could see also the, the, the mental strength and the toughness and the, the, the dedication to it that, are, that have to be there. And so, you know, I, I remember very, very clearly, as a matter of fact, you know, like in the back of my mind, Stanford was always the place, you know, it was always a great school. But then you see how good they are at swimming. And you're like, oh, man, if she could ever go to Stanford, how great would that be? And eventually, you know, she gets to be a junior in high school and she starts hearing from Stanford. And you're like, oh, boy, this is just so good. And I went out to cover Notre Dame Stanford mm -hmm. there uh, after th it was Thanksgiving weekend, I, I want to say 2015. Mm -hmm. And. I contacted the coach, Greg, me, and I'm like, hey, if I come to practice, you know, Brooke Forty's my daughter. He's like, yeah, yeah, come on out. And I sat with him in his office. He's like, yes, we are definitely recruiting her. And we really want her. And I was like, holy cow, this is just so fantastic. You know, <laughs> go back home and I tell her and everything. But then you got to let it play out. And it's got to be her decision. It can't be dad's decision. 
and you know uh, everything falls into place academically and so forth. And uh, she, you know, she was taking her her official visits, and she visited Texas and loved it. I was like, ooh, okay. And she visited Virginia, didn't like it that much. She visited Georgia and loved it. And like, mm, Stanford's last. Just get her on campus, let her see it. And then she went and visited, and my wife and I picked her up at the airport on a Sunday night. We get in the car, and we're kind of hemming and hawing around the subject, you know, well, you know, talking about this and that. And finally, I'm like, well, what do you think? And she goes, I'm going to Stanford. And I was like, whoo, okay, great. Didn't even have to, you know, there was no discovery. Once she was there and visited, met her future teammates and everything else, it was, it was done deal. And the rest – is history. And by the way, Stanford, Notre Dame, 2015, you saw a heck of a football game that Great weekend game. too. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, that was a big time game. <laughs> All right. Uh, as we wrap this up here, I asked, I had Stuart Mandel of the athletic on around this time last month. I asked him this question to wrap up our chat. I'll do the same thing here with you. And I'll reveal his answer to this after I get your answer. Scale of one to 10. What do you think the chances are that college football starts on time and scale of one to 10. What do you think the chances are that college football ends on time? Those are the questions. Um, I would say chance that it starts on time scale of one to 10, five and even five right now. I mean, it, it is 50, 50 in my mind, you know, ask me next week. It might be a four, might be a three by next week. We may know, and it may be a bad answer. I don't know, but, uh, you know, I think they that I think everybody realizes we can start late if we need to. Uh, so there is some flexibility to push back. So that's why I'm gonna say 50-50 right now. Chance that we end on time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'll just I'm gonna throw that one at a five as well because I just think it could go either way. You know, I, I am I have some reasons for pessimism, but I really I want it to happen for all the reasons we all love football. Uh, we need football in your job, in my job, and, you know, all this stuff. So let's hope it happens. Um, but there's just – there's going to be so many logistical hurdles to get through. You know, let's just hope we get a a season that, that can end with conference champions and with bowl games and a playoff and a national champion, yeah. however many games that is. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Stuart, uh, when I asked him a month ago, he, yeah, he gave it a chance of – he gave, had a scale of 1 to 10. He, he gave it an 8 as far as starting on time and a 2 as far oh, wow. as finishing on time. So Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm in the middle on both of those. Yes, you know. are. <laughs> right down the middle of the road. That is Pat Forty in a nutshell. Well, maybe, unless he's, unless he's talking bad about your team, but he never, <laughs> never does that. Read his stuff on uh, Sports Illustrated, one of the very best in the biz as far as co covering college sports and college football is concerned. Pat Forty, our special guest here on the TreeCast. Pat, thanks a bunch. Really appreciate the time. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Uh, healthy travels to Brooke as she comes back out here to the farm. And best of luck for her going forward. Thanks a bunch. And hope we get a chance to uh, cross paths soon. Thank you very much, Troy. Enjoyed talking to you. Yes, and go card, tree power. Yeah, no doubt. Our, our thanks again to uh, Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated and SI.com for joining us and breaking it all down. Yeah, Brooke has been terrific. She's been fantastic. And on a squad that is, is a powerhouse nationwide. 
a squad that featured Katie Ledecky for a couple of years. I mean, Stanford Athletics uh, did not charge admission, or at least didn't have tickets uh, for uh, did not was was not women swimming was not a ticketed event. Then Katie Ledecky showed up, and folks on the farm said, "Hmm, maybe we need to change that a little bit." But uh, not just Katie Brooke and uh, a few others as well, also really helping to uh, pull their weight in uh, keeping uh, Stanford at or near the top of the uh, women's college swimming world so really appreciate pat sharing his thoughts on things that go through his mind as a parent you know we talk about the student athletes we talk about the administrators we talk about the coaches but the parents parents have a stake in this too a rather large one and you heard some of pat's concerns about sending his child back to the farm in in, in this day and age as Brooke uh, makes her way back to uh, the Stanford campus from Louisville uh, next week so I really appreciate him just sharing his insight on that and how being a parent has kind of uh, affected and shaped how he has covered um, this story. So appreciate him breaking that down um, with us. And and really his column earlier this week. I mean, look, I, I am as staunch a four-team playoff guy as there is. I, I really think that in any given year in college football, there really tend to be only two, maybe sometimes three teams that you can point at and say, this team is a national champion. There always seems to be like maybe two or three teams and then a slight gap and then everybody else. So I'm a staunch a four-team playoff guy as there is. But if you're going to expand it, you know, don't just stop there. Do it like Pat Forty suggests with blowing up the conferences um, and, and just going from there and just having all the conference champions um, in that 12-team playoff. So, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad at that. And I'm not mad at the Pac-12 putting things back on the table right now as far as perhaps even moving the football season to the spring. You have to, right? You've seen the headlines. Pat Forty's seen the headlines. Larry Scott's seen the headlines. You, you can't you can't be blind to any of this. And if you are, you'll get bitten in the rump by the Rona pretty quickly. More than a few states finding that out the hard way as we speak. So not ideal. It's it's not the it's not the way that I'm sure anybody wants to go. Everybody wants all 12 games to be played on time, plus championship games and plus postseason as well. For a lot of different reasons, mostly financial. But you have to consider the alternatives, which I'm sure all these conferences have even before this. I'm pretty sure I would hope it's not like, you know, <laughs> some some commissioners are, are convening everybody in the office here as we get into Fourth of July weekend and going, oh, what do we do now? No, no, I hope not anyway. I'm sure all these contingency plans have been been considered and gone over and hashed over again and again and again over the past few weeks and months. You have to put these things on the table when you look at. Southern California blowing up, when you look at Arizona blowing up, outside the Pac-12 footprint, Texas and Florida having major problems right now. And those just happen to be three areas, Southern California, Florida, and Texas, that are pretty vital to college football and its talent pool and its success. Got to put everything back on the table. So Pat and I are in lockstep in that respect. You want to respond to anything that Pat and I discussed? Hey, Twitter's open for you. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast. You've got thoughts. I always welcome them uh, via that form. If you've missed any of the previous shows on the TreeCast, check out the vault. 
Then subscribe to the show, download the show, and check out previous episodes of some of our fantastic chats. Pat Forty, of course, uh, now joins uh, that distinguished list as well. And hey, you know, Believe.com. This, of course, is a part of the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, Believe.com now almost has 300 shows for you. Not just in sports, but also in lifestyles, entertainment, all sorts of stuff, and all sorts of uh, fantastic programming awaits you on the Believe Podcast Network. The TreeCast is certainly glad to be a part of that. And if you want to advertise on the show, hey, there's an advertise section on Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Hit them up, have that conversation. I'm sure that we will all be glad that you do. That'll do it for this edition and this episode of the TreeCast. Thanks again to our special guest, Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated. And we'll see you and talk to you next week. In the meantime, have a safe, sane, and healthy and happy 4th of July weekend. And think about some of the things that truly make this country great. And think about some of the things that you could be doing to make this country Uh, even closer to its ideal as it is spelled out on paper. Don't drink and drive. Normally I say if you do drink and drive, you're the dumbest person on the planet. But nowadays, if you don't wear a mask when you go outside, you're the dumbest person on the planet. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks again for checking us out. On the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 